it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5, a Tuesday edition. Hope everyone's having a wonderful day, and we appreciate you for tuning in here on the final drive. Michael Brauner is on vacation this week. My man Nathan is behind the glass taking your telephone calls and also making sure that the show runs very smoothly. But joining me in the studio is Jarrett Bates from 97.1 The Prowl. And Jarrett does a great job with his work with South Alabama men's and women's basketball on their student radio side. Jarrett, good afternoon, my friend, and welcome to The Final Drive. Good afternoon, Corey. Thanks for having me. Um, shout out to all the listeners out there tuning in today. Um, just a blessing to be here. Um, of course, Corey's a great mentor, uh, and he's been a good friend to me, and I'm just blessed to have this opportunity to come on the show today. Well, Jared, you know, when you start looking at what's going on in the NCAA and, of course, in college football, when the games are not being played, there's always a microphone that's going to be around these coaches. And when you put a microphone in front of Lane Kiffin or Jimbo Fisher, you're never going to be disappointed. He never, ever, ever disappoints when you ask the right question. And a couple of coaching situations in the SEC, Jimbo Fisher, he opens his mouth first. And when asked about Nick Saban, and the Alabama Crimson Tide, he felt, he said, we should have beat them a year ago. And how this opened up, he was in Houston at a fundraiser, and one of the fans blurted out that they wanted to make sure that they beat Alabama's ass. Well, of course, Jimbo Fisher didn't shy away from that fan blurting that out. He said, we should have beat them a year ago. We will. I'm sleeping well right now. Now, of course, Alabama beat them 24 to 20 a year ago with the backup quarterback. But I'm quite sure Jimbo Fisher is sleeping very well with a 10-year, $95 million contract. And true enough, two years ago when WKRG Simone Eli asked him a question, he said, yeah. And Nick Saban said, Jimbo Fisher beat me in what? In golf? <laughs> and, of course, turned around and a few months later beat him on the football field. But Jimbo Fisher, sleeping well, feels that should have beat them a year ago. I don't think that Jimbo Fisher is really losing any sleep because he knows the Brinks truck is going to deliver any which way you have it. But I love the fact that not only did we get a comment from Jimbo Fisher about Alabama and Nick Saban, we get one about the unusual relationship that Coach Saban has with one Lane Kiffin. He calls it unusual. 
Lane Kiffin says he's like a family member in Coach Saban, where I can joke about him, but if someone else does, it pisses me off. Well, I wonder how pissed off Lane Kiffin was behind these comments that Jimbo Fisher decided to make because I know Lane, when he's able to defeat Texas A&M, he goes in hard. But that part is always fun when you start looking at it, Jared. Anytime coaches in the offseason get microphones put in front of them, you never know what you're going to see. But Lane Kiffin never disappoints, and neither does Jimbo Fisher. Well, the SEC is like uh, just like your classic schoolhouse drama. And like Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban are like brothers. I know you have a brother. I have brothers. It's it's just, you know, you can pick on your brother. But when somebody else starts picking on your brother, it starts it gets in your feelings a little bit. But I mean, with Jimbo Fisher being one and five against Nick Saban, I mean, there's not much room to talk when the record doesn't speak for itself. Lane Kiffin, 0 and three. So we know the only two wins against Nick Saban from his protégés. Off his coaching tree is the one win that Jimbo Fisher had and, of course, the one win that Kirby Smart has. But I just I, I love it during the offseason when coaches have an opportunity to talk about one another. And Lane Kiffin, he, he really has no love loss for Jimbo Fisher, too, because, like you said, it's that big brother syndrome that Nick Saban – the, the dad syndrome to where, all right, you can talk about anybody you want to in my family, but as long as you don't come at them, as soon as you come at them physically, you're going to have a problem. And here it is verbally, Lane Kiffin, he trolls Coach Saban all the time. <laughs> I love the fact that he trolls them. It, it makes Twitter and it makes our jobs a lot more fun and a lot more lighthearted. But Jimbo Fisher, on the other hand, I don't think his tweet game is as good as one Lane Kiffin's. No, I don't think so. I think Lane Kiffin may be the all-SEC first team when it comes to coaches tweeting. Yeah, I, I think he's definitely one of the best and definitely has some of the best tweets that you'll find out there. But also, speaking of coaches who, who love to, to talk about one another and, of course, you have Jimbo Fisher – saying he's going to beat Alabama. Lane Kiffin wants to beat Alabama, knows that at least he shows that equal respect for Saban. And, of course, Brian Kelly at LSU said the same thing earlier when asked about, yes, I, I, want, to, I want to handle and dominate Alabama. Yesterday when Mark Hine was on the show, it kind of got out that Bobby Huggins, West Virginia's head basketball coach, had made some homophobic slurs. And not only did he do it once, he did it twice. And threw the religion on there. And threw religion on top of that. So you make the homophobic slur and you throw religion in there. Bobby Huggins is a Hall of Fame basketball coach. But I, I stated yesterday, you can suspend him. He's already made the apology. How long or how long will it take for West Virginia or will they ever fire Bobby Huggins for his homophobic slur or will he just be suspended? And I think that the parallel to me was even interesting, even more interesting because Tom Brenneman, who used to work at Fox, 
was one of their lead football broadcasters. Did, did a great job doing football and baseball. He came to speak to West Virginia in 2020 and Bobby Huggins' basketball program about bouncing back from your mistakes. The same Tom Brenneman who made homophobic slurs and a homophobic remark about San Francisco and lost his job there, Bobby Huggins invites him over to speak to his West Virginia basketball team. And here it is three years later, Bobby Huggins makes almost the exact same slur. And will it cost him his job? I, I don't I don't know that it does at a place like West Virginia. Maybe in a more politically hotbed university um, in a California or somewhere out on the West Coast, I, I think he'd already be gone. But, you know, West Virginia is more of a throwback way of life up in the mountains. And I just I don't, I don't know if they go to the point of firing him, but I do definitely see some community service in the works or or a suspension or some sort, but I, I don't I don't think he necessarily gets the pink slip. But what are the what are the odds that you sit there and you have invited Tom Brenneman, who made homophobic slurs, to speak to your basketball team and the corrective measures that they can make, and then Bobby Huggins three years later makes the same homo homophobic remarks, the same exact homophobic remarks, and expects probably to still keep his job. That's what's amazing to me, Hall of Famer or not. And and what I what I think is crazy, I was reading through some tweets on it. Uh, a guy named Nick Casper on Twitter said, Bob Huggins hasn't coached at Cincinnati in 18 years and potentially ended his career because Xavier lives rent-free in his head. And, and that they do when uh, they played Xavier this past season in December. In late November, about a week before playing them, he says he has no good thoughts of Xavier whatsoever, but he's 8-9 and nine against them. He doesn't, once again, the records speak for themselves. You can talk the talk all you want, but you got to win the ballgames. And I, I will say, I remember when Bob Huggins came down here and played the South Alabama Jaguars when he was the head coach at Cincinnati. Was there for a long time, left there with, with the problems and the issues that he did have, and moved on to West Virginia. And has been successful at West Virginia and has made them into a contender. And that's a great thing for Bobby Huggins. But you just you feel uh, some kind of way in regards to suspension or do you pink slip them? That's, that part about college basketball is interesting. And in tying into – college basketball too you lose a hall of fame coach today in denny crumb passing away at the age of 86 years old denny crumb with those rolled up papers in his hands tight rolled up papers national champions in 1980 and 1986 a 30-year career at one school that in and of itself is amazing where you can have a career at one school Six Final Fours, won over 675 games, and was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 94. Denny Crum passing away at the age of 86. That, that's, that's a tough one for the college basketball world, and it all ties together as far as you go from coaches having a tight fraternity to 
having your Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches. And Denny Crum, if he's not on one of the Mount Rushmores of college basketball, I don't know who, who should not be. I mean, because Coach Krzyzewski had done a wonderful job. Dean Smith, wonderful job. Denny Crum is right up there as well. Who Who is on listeners in, and, and hit us up in the app? Who belongs on college basketball's Hall of Fame as far as Mount Rushmore is concerned? Who, who's there as a collegiate coach? Because to me, of course, Dean Smith and Coach Krzyzewski are definitely there. I, without question, they're there. But Denny Crum being at Louisville for over 30 years, that is quite impressive when you start looking at the career of a college basketball coach. And, of course, Rick Pitino takes over and brings that coveted national championship back to Louisville, and then it erases itself because of what he's accused of. And I agree with an apper says Pat Summit belongs on that college basketball Mount Rushmore. She does. And you look at everything that she accomplished at Tennessee. Pat Summit never had the opportunity to coach the men, but the respect that she had not only from the men's coaches, she definitely belongs there. Denny Crum belongs there. Dean Smith belongs there. I think that there are several other coaches. If you can only put four or five on there, okay. But if you had to name those four all time, Jared, I, I'll give you an opportunity to think about. Oh, I got it. Oh, let, shoot away. Who, who's on Who's on your Mount Rushmore? I, I, I think Pat Summit for what she did for the women's game and the game of basketball in general is on there. Uh, obviously, Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K. I mean, probably the all-time GOAT, first coach to 1,000 wins, five national championships, so on and so forth. I mean, just a legendary career. Dean Smith, what he did at North Carolina. And then my fourth, kind of a little bit of a wild card. I like Jay Wright from Villanova. Um, I think he had a legendary career there. What he did with a school that historically good, but never a true blue blood, really turned them into a blue blood. I think Jay Wright deserves his flowers as a, as part of that group. I, I, I sit and say, you, you do have John Wooden definitely belongs there. Oh, as, I forgot about as, Wooden. You, you, can't, you can't forget about John Wooden. He definitely belongs there. Yak Fishing is exactly right about that one. I, I love John Wooden, Dean Smith, Pat Summit, and, you know, Denny Crum winning two national championships, Bobby Knight, controversial but successful, Jim Calhoun, very successful at UConn, Larry Brown, successful at multiple stops. But if you had to pick those four, that's what we that we want to find that four of the Mount Rushmore. Because, again, you, you – you look at the Mount Rushmore, I think that Dean Smith, again, wouldn't for sure. Pat Summit, men or women. And, and you got to leave someone off. Denny Crum, to me. And to be fair, I, I don't know if it's fair to mix the women and the men's coaches. Because, I mean, I think you can make an obvious case for the Mount Rushmore for the women's coaches being Gino Auriemma, Pat Summit, Don Staley, and probably Kim Mulkey is the fourth and then the men, I mean, there's just so many great coaches throughout the year that have such a 
storied history that it, it, it it's hard to really pick just four. Pat Summit definitely belongs men or women because she she just demanded that type of respect and had that type of respect. And on the other side of the final drive, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with this gambling situation. It is it's out of control. And Pandora's box was opened with Alabama's baseball coach being fired last week. And now you're looking at Iowa and Iowa State. This is just the beginning of what I think is the NCAA is definitely going to have their hands full and these universities and compliance departments are going to have their hands full. We'll talk about the number of athletes who could possibly be involved in this scandal getting ready on the other side of this break here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty and Jared Bates sitting in for vacationing Michael Brauner. This is Mayor Sandy Stimson. You're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on the Tuesday edition. Corey LeBound along with Jarrett Bates joining me this afternoon, sitting in for Michael Bronner, who is on vacation this week. And today's show, we have Jalen Wayne coming up at the top of the hour to talk about his mission to make the roster for the Buffalo Bills and locked on SEC Chris Gordy at 4 o'clock and Mike Griffin, Dog Nation, and he sits in on the SEC network. He'll give us a breakdown of what he saw from all the teams that had spring. And, of course, Steve Norman, the head football coach at Baker High School, joins us at 5.30. The Hornets getting ready to stir it up in a couple of days in their spring game. So high school is definitely here. And the betting problem that's going on within the NCAA first gets uncovered at Alabama, and Alabama takes swift action because betting on college baseball is something that a lot of people have never heard of before, never probably knew existed until – Coach Bohannon gets dismissed last week. But now you knew that with that being opened up at Alabama, you knew that there were going to be other schools who were going to fall victim to investigations and possible suspensions. And at Alabama, it was the head coach, which is the worst possible person to get involved as far as being a leader of the young men that you're recruiting. But the student athletes – at Alabama, as of today, from a baseball standpoint, were not found guilty of anything, have not any suspicious activities going on with the Alabama baseball players. But yesterday it got brought to the attention that Iowa and Iowa State both acknowledged student-athletes, and at Iowa it crossed over with five sports, at Iowa State, it crossed over with three sports, 26 Iowa athletes, 15 from Iowa State, and the sports involved at Iowa were baseball, football, men's basketball, men's track and field, and wrestling. At Iowa State, football, wrestling, and track and field. And 
in those departments, you also had one full-time employee of the athletic department suspended for wagering on sports in violation of NCAA rules. Now, the question I have is, Jared, is Iowa and Iowa State, after you look at the 26 athletes there, the 15 at Iowa State, where does it, where is it going to stop? Is this just is this just a peak of the iceberg? Because 111 individuals at Iowa, 111, 26 are current athletes. How deep does it go, and how deep will it continue to run? Oh, I think I think it goes very deep. Um, of course, with the situation with Alabama, and of course that's a that's a very extreme, uh, large amount of money betting against your own team, and I mean that's frowned upon at all. Um, but just with Iowa, 111 individuals connected to the university in some way, shape, or form, and 26 of them being current athletes at the school um, with with betting potential betting violations. But looking into it, which because I did a little research. Um, wasn't sure the exact rules on the NCA. They ban betting on sports at any level in a sport that the NCA conducts a championship. So, granted, football players couldn't be betting on the NFL. They could have been betting on the NFL and be getting hit for that, and it not necessarily been quite the same situation as what happened at Alabama. But granted, I, I do think this is a problem that I mean, with the promotion of gambling. I mean, every single break you watch an nba nfl mlb game every commercial break you're going to see caesar sportsbook or FanDuel <laughs> pr promoting and and with the promotion nationwide of betting i just think it's going to continue to be a problem with these student athletes getting hit with gambling violations i think that the compliance department now once you start looking at the implications that the FBI coming in to Alabama and getting involved with with that baseball case of course the head coach you never would have believed that a head coach would have betted against his own team and that's that's one of the the cardinal sins uh, betting against your team but for the number of student athletes that are at Iowa and Iowa State it just makes you wonder who's next and, and what is next? What are the next steps? Because if you have baseball and football and men's basketball, men's track and field and wrestling involved and wagering on any sport as a student athlete is a violation. So those student athletes, you and I, we love to play March Madness brackets. Let's say we placed a wager on our March Madness bracket. Well, as a student athlete, you can't do that. As a no. coach, as an assistant coach, in any capacity, you can't place that wager on any type of football game, basketball game, any sport. It's not legalized for you to do it as an NCAA athlete. And it just makes me wonder, with those two sports that got caught and Alabama baseball being at the forefront, how many other air quote scandals will we see in collegiate sports from a gambling or betting standpoint i genuinely think it's countless i mean i think the issues like this could be going on from coast to coast and 
conferences, big and small, Division One, Two, Three. I, I think this is an issue that, I mean, at the end of the day, people like to gamble on sports, and that and student athletes are no different. A lot of people put student athletes on pedestals like they're greater than other people, but at the end of the day, they're just regular old people like me and you, Corey, and uh, they they happen to be able to play a sport at a very high level, and. Uh, you know, this is an issue that I think really is a nationwide thing that over the next coming months, you're going to see program left and right having these instances of 25, 26 student athletes that have been hit with gambling violations and compliance issues with the NCAA. Again, Iowa having 26 student athletes, Iowa State 15, and this is Iowa and Iowa State to where I know that when Alabama and Auburn and the rest of the SEC or the rest of your Power 5 schools continue to go do some digging. The compliance directors, they continue to send out messages and memos to student-athletes. Stop it. Don't do it. But nowadays, I, I think that if they, if they want you, they're going to get you. And we'll see how far it's going to run its course in regards to what programs and what sanctions are going to be Handed down. The final drive on WNSP 105.5, Corey Labounty and Jared Bates. When we get back from this break, we'll hear from Jalen Wayne. He's a hometown guy, Spanish Fort, Toro, Faith Academy Ram. Had an opportunity to catch a lot of footballs in South Alabama, and hopefully he'll be doing the same thing with the Buffalo Bills. We'll talk to Jalen Wayne next here on the final drive. Hey, this is AJ McCarron, and you're listening to WNSD. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey Labonte along with Jared Bates this afternoon. Of course, Michael Bronner enjoying that vacation and recovering from our two-on-two matchup that we had last Friday. So we're hoping Bronner is really enjoying his vacation. But someone who's not on vacation and has continued to work hard since I watched him in high school is one Jalen Wayne and Jalen Wayne, former South Alabama wide receiver and now Buffalo Bill, hopeful to make that roster, that 52 man roster. Jalen Wayne joins us this afternoon. How's it going, Jalen? Uh, it's going good. It's going good. How about you, Mr. Cord? Man, I'm absolutely blessed by the best, my brother. And I tell you, man, it's always great to sit and talk with you and uh, to think back about your high school career, whether it's at Faith Academy or Spanish Ford, and just to see all the great things that you've accomplished and to see your smiling face hit South Alabama's campus. And then really in the last couple of years, coming to your own at wide receiver. Talk to us about that growth that you've had at wide receiver and how people like Darrell Luter Jr. have made you have an opportunity to make it in the NFL? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, um, first off, when I was at Faith Academy uh, for those years, being up to my senior year, I was real big on basketball. and um, I mean, I was just playing point guard and shooting guard. That's where I kind of met Mr. Corey at. And um, after that, uh, I just had a conversation with some of my friends in school, and they just t- told me to try for the football team my senior year and just see how stuff would go. So I ended up going out to spring ball at Faith Academy. Then uh, I saw I was pretty good at it. So I just said, you know, whatever, let's just go ahead and transfer to the best school in the area. So I ended up going to Spanish Fort. 
And then uh, I met Ben Blackman, who was the coach there at the time, and a whole bunch of playmakers. So, like, they just put me in a position where I just kind of touched the ball all the time. So I was playing receiver and running back. But then, like I said, I just got a scholarship offer to South Alabama, came here, did whatever I could as a young guy to really get on the field. But uh, I started to meet certain DBs and receivers that kind of helped me grow my game, kind of like Jalen Tolbert and Quan Baker. And then Luda came on in the middle of my career, and that's when me and him started uh, going back and forth, doing one-on-ones a lot. And me and him just started sharpening our own iron. And after that, I mean, I started to grow real, real fast in, in a short amount of time. So all of this is really kind of crazy. <laughs> Good afternoon, Jalen. Of course, you played at South during a time of transition from uh, Coach Campbell to Coach Womack's staff. And, of course, when Coach Womack came in in 2021, you saw kind of a little bit of a breakout year being the second option mm-hmm. to uh, your fellow Jalen, Jalen Tolbert, and then a really huge year this past year. What was that transition like co- playing for Coach Womack and Coach Applewhite on the offensive side? Yeah, definitely. It was a huge change, but uh, I mean, I would say it was tough because that was something that we was asked for as football players. Like, I felt like we showed, even with Coach Campbell, that we were, you know, playmakers, but we weren't, you know, coached well enough to, you know, finish games and bring out W's. And then when Coach Womack got there and Coach Applewhite, he just kind of switched our standard and switched the way we operated mentally. And then, you know, physically, he really didn't have to do much but just help us go out there and, you know, find new plays and get us the ball. And then me and Jalen will kind of go and do the rest after that. But um, Coach Applewhite is just big on, like, how mentally strong and mentally tough we became as far as football players. Jalen Wayne, he is trying to make the roster for the Buffalo Bills. And, Jalen, one of the questions that I have, and I know a lot of our listeners have, how the undrafted free agency process works. Do you find a system or a franchise that you feel would work best for you? Or is this a franchise that you've had conversations with in the past and you said, okay, well, I I think that my my talents would fit best with the system that they're running? Or do you just pick it yourself? I mean, how did that work for you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was kind of, um, I was kind of confused myself on it, and uh, it's not really a process that you really be preparing for unless you know you're going and, and, and going and dealing with that situation. But uh, I thought I was going to get drafted, but it didn't really work out that way. And after the draft, my uh, my agent called me and my mom. He uh, laid out a whole bunch, you know, different teams who had deals for me because I mean it was moving real fast by then. And he just said the best opportunity. Plus, the best financial situation would be with the Bills, which is kind of crazy enough because that's my favorite team, got my favorite player there anyways. So, like, when he said them, I instantly said yes because I knew I would want to come play with a big-time guy like Stephon Diggs, and I'd probably get an easy enough shot to make that happen. So that's when I was real big on going there. I love the fact that iron sharpens iron, and I appreciate you for having transparency with us about how that undrafted free agency works because I really had no clue as to whether you picked the organization or you sat down with your agent and how that works. So thank you for clearing that up. And during your time at South Alabama, having an opportunity to not only make the Senior Bowl, but after you make the Senior Bowl and playing in front of your home crowd for the last time, then getting invited to the Combine. What did that do to you mentally as far as saying, yeah, this is this is an opportunity for me to show what it's all about and what Jalen Wayne can do to help your organization or franchise win football? Yes, sir, for sure. I mean, 
uh, just thanks for the, you know, uh, the NFL organizations and also Jim Nagy for viewing me and viewing my talent as something, you know, big enough to go out and compete with guys like I did. And, uh, you know, after I got those shots and those opportunities, I mean, I just sat back and, you know, you know, saw that they were very respectful, respectful of my talent and my ability. And then uh, the grown man in me just said, you know, I got to still, you know, I can't get too high on myself. I got to still be humble and go out there and compete and do the best that I can. But uh, it was definitely surprising and definitely like, you know, a confidence booster just seeing that, you know, they were they, they were viewing me as one of those top guys in the nation. And, uh, you know, after I had that opportunity, I just made sure I had to capitalize on things. And Jalen, a little less of a football question, more of kind of like a personal question. Uh, going to Buffalo, like the wing capital of the world, you know, you a boneless or a bone-in kind of guy? Boneless, boneless. <laughs> and, and, and to that point, to that point, are you ranch or blue cheese? Ranch. I love it. I love it. So you go to Buffalo now, have an opportunity to learn from Stefan Diggs. Tell us about this process here. I know when I spoke with you earlier, I know I've had a lot of people ask me and the listeners that are tuned in right now, the process for Jalen Wayne here within this next week. Of course, I look on NFL Today and you see some people already reporting. Talk to us about mm -hmm. how, what your process is now moving forward with the Buffalo Bills. Yes, sir. So uh, after the draft, I uh, uh, started to talk to the front office with Buffalo. Uh, I, I fly out this Thursday, uh, 5.30 in the morning. I'll be there like midday, and then the, the day starts. Like as soon as I get in the building, I'm pretty sure we're going to start meeting and uh, doing physicals and meeting with doctors and just seeing that everything uh, is okay since they uh, last saw me at Pro Day. And then after that, I think we start. I think we start practice on that Thursday or Friday, so we get to go throw the ball out and see all the other guys that got invited and uh, other guys that signed UDFA and also the guys that got drafted. So I mean, it just starts up pretty fast. We'll be in mini camps, just learning football from the coaches, and then after that, I believe we get in the OTAs as the week that's that big dog. You hey, look, you got that dog in you too, Jalen. Now I know yeah, that yeah. for a fact. You got that dog in you, brothers. Let me ask you this too, Jalen. Yes, sir. He uh, he was just laying down. My mom just walked in the house. So hey, that's a good guard dog. Hey, that's a good guard dog. That's what they're supposed to do now, Jalen. And, and as far as you having some lineage in your family from a wide receiver standpoint, people that don't know who one of your famous relatives are. Tell everybody who one of your famous relatives are from a NFL and wide receiver standpoint. Uh, yes, sir. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 my uncle is uh, the ha Hall of Famer Reggie Wayne, uh, play receiver for Indianapolis coach for Peyton Manning, and uh, play with Marvin Harrison, play with those that big-time Super Bowl team in 07. And, uh, yeah, uh, he, he's pretty big in my life. I don't really view him as big of a celebrity as most people do. He's just kind of more of like a father figure slash coach for me. Well, that's awesome that you have an opportunity to have that type of tutelage. And I know he's going to continue to, to wish you the best as we're wishing you the best here in Mobile, Alabama, going in to Buffalo Bills training camp or off-season program. And, and Jalen, it is – now – I know you were a hooper, too. How hard was yes, it to give up basketball and to say, yeah, look, I'm going to play some football, and I'm going to do it at the highest level? 
Yes, sir. And uh, I, I feel like this is where uh, me and you connect real well because um, I'm going to be honest with the court. When I was in Spanish court, I started playing football. I always was still sneaking back in the basketball gym with the team and shooting <laughs> we, up we shots seen it. We've seen you like, at the rack. For like four weeks into the football season, I was getting in trouble by being black men, and he was getting mad at me because I'd get up there late because he knew I was down there still playing basketball. So, like, that was, it's always been a struggle. Even when I got in college playing intramural, still just getting on a roster somewhere, just being on a team so I could put up some shots in, in real live game moments. So, uh, it's still been a struggle. But um, I always knew that football was what I was going to take seriously after, like, my freshman year in college. I got asked to walk on a team here at South, but, like, I never really took that too serious. I was still always focused, though. Well, look, I, I will say this, Jalen. I you 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 would laugh at me. I, I got embarrassed the other day. My producer and another co-host, Mark Heim in the morning show, man, we got beat eleven to zero in a two on two basketball game, brother. Have, have, it, it was it, <laughs> it was it was pretty embarrassing. Eleven to zero, man. I, I was trying to put up shots. My partner Bronner was putting up shots. We were shooting multiple you can't air balls. Score one of them is scoring. <laughs> Brother, we did not score a bucket, man. We got swacked mm. 11 to nothing, and it wasn't make it, take it. So we just, it was a bad day for us, Jalen. It was a bad day for us. But I've seen your abilities, and I tell you what, you know, if I, I, I will say this nothing against my man, Michael Brauner, but. You know, I, I would tag team in with you to to at least get us a point. And I, you know, that that point spread that was four and a half would have changed a little bit for us if it would have been you and I for sure. But no, man, oh, yeah, I, definitely, I, definitely, it would have. We wouldn't have had no zeros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. Hey, look, the only thing I want you to have zeros behind in the future is your contract, my brother. Okay, so for sure, appreciate that. Yes, yeah, sir. Wishing you the best for sure, Jalen Wayne, a member of the Buffalo Bills, getting ready to head out the next couple of days and look we'll definitely stay in touch and i appreciate your time and watching you continue to grow through high school college and and now to the nfl proud of you and continue to do your thing my brother yes sir mr core appreciate you the whole way i mean i just know you were support since i was in high school even when i didn't even feel comfortable myself so just seeing myself grow and just seeing you grow as a reporter and just everything that you're doing in the community i just thank you for that but appreciate you though Thank you so much. Jalen Wayne joining us this afternoon here on the final drive and coming right back with my man, Jared Bates, sitting alongside of me in for Michael Bronner, who's on vacation this weekend. Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Jarrett Bates sitting in for vacation in Michael Brauner. And we were talking earlier before we got on the phone with Jalen Wayne. And want to wish Jalen Wayne nothing but the best, folks. It's a young man that knew what was coming to him this year at South Alabama but still found a way without Jalen Tolbert to be absolutely the best at what he did and he's going to be one of those South Alabama athletes that are going to be talked about as far as from the first 10 years standpoint is that guy who not only was from Mobile or Spanish Ford High School coming to make a difference having an opportunity to play in the Senior Bowl as well as the NFL Combine and 
pursuing his dream with the Buffalo Bills can wish him nothing but the best. And we talked earlier about the all-time greats in college basketball. Denny Crum passed away today at the age of 86. He's a two-time national championship coach. Had a 30-year career all at Louisville. And we were trying to find out who do you put on that Mount Rushmore for college basketball coaches. Denny Crum arguably could be on there. We had app users who and callers who called in and said, don't forget about John Wooden and Pat Summit and Mike Krzyzewski, John Calipari. I'm not quite sure about that one yet. John Calipari, you look at what he was not been able to win yet at Kentucky as far as multiple national championships when he probably should have had more championships than any collegiate coach. But Denny Crum, two-time national champion, never nervous Purvis is one of his all-time biggest players at Louisville and, and definitely went to work for him. Won over 675 games, and I'm still a believer you give a coach their flowers and their props while they're still living. And he was inducted in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 94. And, Jared, you, you talked about who was on your Mount Rushmore for college basketball coaches. And there's, there's only four spots that you can have. So, of course, someone's going to be left off. Yeah. And John Wooden is on there for me. Pat Summit is on there for me. I'm still I, – I want Denny Crum to be on there. I really do. Yeah, to me, I think it's one of those things where you – if you only get four, I think three, if you're counting men's and women's, three are obvious, Wooden, Summit, and Coach K. And I think that fourth spot, uh, another name that came to mind, I don't know if you – quite to the same rapport of some of these other names like Dean Smith or, or uh, Jay Wright. Uh, but Roly Massimino came to mind. He won a national championship at Villanova and uh, 800 wins in his career, and he died a few years back. But um, I, I didn't see that one in the app, and I thought he deserved his credit um, as one of the all-time greats as well. So if you only had four, who would it be? Who's going on your Mount Rushmore for college basketball coaches as Hall of Fame Denny Crum passes away today at the age of 86? And we've talked about the Hall of Fame struggles with one Bobby Huggins at West Virginia and his homophobic slurs that he made on the radio. And comparing that to the mistake that Tom Brenneman made and Tom Brenneman speaking to West Virginia's basketball squad in 2020 about the same homophobic remark that was made by one Bobby Huggins and Bobby Huggins having a Hall of Fame career. West Virginia, Cincinnati, one of the all-time greatest. And when you put, like you mentioned, a homophobic slur on top of religion, will it cost him his job? And you go back and you look at those coaches or athletes who have, or even broadcasters who have lately made not the correct statements, because you go back to the Oakland A's broadcaster. Yikes. Absolutely ridiculous, the words that were uttered out of his mouth. And he winds up getting suspended, and it may cost him his job. So got to be careful with 
what you're saying in regards to having a position to where you definitely have a platform and people are going to use that against you. So we'll see if Bobby Huggins will survive at West Virginia or he will be shown the old Mountaineer Road. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Chris Gordy coming up next here on WNSP. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Hour number two of the final drive. It's a Tuesday edition. Michael Bronner on vacation. So I brought in my man Jarrett Bates in with me today from 97.1. The Proud does a phenomenal job for the men and women's Jaguar basketball student radio. And, you know, Jarrett, of course, when you're locked onto the SEC, the way our next guest always is, it's always great to bring in our next guest here to the final drive. Chris Gordy, how are you doing this afternoon, my friend? Hey, doing good, guys. It's uh, We're almost here in the summer, and that means uh, we're getting oh so closer. I just saw the emails for SEC Media Days coming up, so uh, we're getting there. Yeah, closer and closer without a doubt because we got those same emails, and the morning producer was talking about that. And speaking of talking about the SEC media days. There's a lot of talking going on by the the coaches in the summertime because they have microphones in their mouths as far as them traveling around to these different organizations. Jimbo Fisher, the first one to really say, well, he sleeps well right now, and I'm quite sure he does because he has that 10-year, $95 million guaranteed contract, but says he's not really worried about Nick Saban, and when that fan blurted out, we want you to kick Alabama's ass, he he chimed in on it and said, should have beat them a year ago. Hmm. Well, <laughs> it could have, should have, would have. In that situation, the only thing that's guaranteed in this life is Jimbo Fisher's contract. Yeah, and, and look, I thought he actually, I thought it was pretty tame, uh, his answer, because he could have doubled down, right? He could have been like, Tell you what, we had him beat last year. We're going to beat him again this year. You know what I mean? Like, he could have doubled down, but I thought it was pretty tame. You know, what, what nobody realizes about this, you know, the, the Houston Touchdown Club, but I know the guys who run it, you know, they bring in coaches from all over uh, the, the surrounding area. Uh, Brian Kelly and LSU were there a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, the Texas Tech coach was there, TCU. I mean, they bring in coaches from all around the region. And what it is is it's a fundraiser that is supposed to raise money for, you know, the school by alums. And, you know, it's people that, that spend a lot of money to go hear the coach talk. And, you know, it's the, the people that are there and, and citing Jimbo and the A&M one last night or two nights ago, um, it was all Aggie fans there. And so, yeah, so Jimbo has to fire up the, the crowd. They, you know, it's going to be a pro-Aggie sentiment. And so, you know, it, it just so happens there's going to be a few media members there that are going to tweet quotes. And I just thought the one two weeks ago of Brian Kelly. I mean, it was it – was, I think his line was, you know, I'm enjoying the coach of the SEC. I'm enjoying running out on that field at LSU. And I enjoyed beating Alabama. It's a fact. He beat Alabama year one. He enjoyed beating them, and he should. But somehow that got turned into, oh, he's throwing barbs at Saban. And I'm like, guys, like, it's not all about Saban. It's not all about taking shots at the other schools. Sometimes it's just about enjoying what you're doing at your school. And that's what that was last night. I mean, Jimbo, you know, again, like I said, I thought it was pretty tame in him kind of saying, yeah, look, we're, uh, you know, we, I don't stay up at night. He doesn't keep me up at night. And, and look, the Alabama faithful, it's their job to go, well, it should. Saban is still, you know, the best coach of all time, and you better be worried about him. But at the end of the day, these, the, you know, these coaching circuits and all this, it's all just fundraisers. It's all money uh, being raised. It's not, you know, hey, let me go dig a dig a barb into somebody. That's for Lane Kiffin to do on Twitter, like he did the other day at Eli Drinkwood, taking a shot saying, hey, I hope you're wearing your cute little sweater vest to the baseball game. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's real barbs. That's real throwing bows. You know what I mean? Well, somebody who knows how to throw bows is one Lane Kiffin. And Lane Kiffin's relationship with Nick Saban, he quotes it as unusual. He said, he's like a family member where I can joke about him but if someone else does it, it pisses me off. And that's the quote coming from Lane Kiffin. And, of course, Lane Kiffin throwing jabs and punches after Ole Miss beats Texas A&M 31-28 last year. But it's the offseason in the SEC. That's why you have to love it. Yeah, it is. And, and that's what's so amazing. And the Kiffin thing is really weird because even in his first year at Ole Miss, when, when Alabama was playing for a championship, he was still tweeting out, like, Roll Tide, Go Bama. And everybody's <laughs> like, what is he trying to do here? Is he trying to jinx them? Like, what is, you know, is it reverse psychology? Uh, yeah, Kiffin's just a weird guy. And he loves and respects Nick Saban. And, uh, you know, I even go back to when Coach O got the job at LSU. Wayne Kiffin was his number one priority to get to hire as the OC. And Lane, if he really wanted to stick it to Saban, was going to take that job. Instead, Kiffin said, hey, why don't we pivot? Why don't we try to get you a head coaching job? And has Saban helped him get the head coaching job at FAU? And, you know, again, it was because Kiffin respected uh, Saban and said, well, let me do you a favor here and let's work this out. So it is interesting, but, man, it is, it is kind of funny. Like, as soon as spring ball ended two weeks ago, uh, all these coaches, everybody's just hit the circuit. Like, I couldn't believe I was doing my, my Lockdown SEC show last night. Yeah, Josh Heifel making the rounds on Tennessee radio, talking about how great their spring was. Kirby Smart's hitting the road to promote a book that he co-wrote on the championship year from two years ago. Uh, Brian Kelly's doing sit-down interviews in Baton Rouge. It was just amazing how all these coaches are all just hitting the circuit and, and doing the media rounds. This is talking season now. This is, the, this is time to fundraise, raise money for your program. Uh, you know, continue to recruit the 2024 class. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of downtime before we get into full-on uh, fall camp. 
And funny enough, I was looking on Twitter, uh, keeping up with Lane Kiffin. It's actually his birthday today, so happy birthday to Lane Kiffin. Yeah, and he's no spring chicken anymore either. Like, we used to think of him as one of the youngest coaches in college football, and he still kind of is, but I think somebody said there's like 50 other coaches younger than him now. That's that's kind of uh, – he's starting to become the old man now around college football, so kind of crazy, but – um, you know, it is interesting, man. I, I, I've had some people ask me what the expectations are for Ole Miss this year, and I just I totally figure out who their quarterback is going to be and can Pete Golding turn this defense around. I still think it's going to be like a seven, maybe eight-win type season max for Ole Miss, and how long will the Ole Miss faithful be okay with that? You already had one foot out the door, testing the, water with, the waters with Auburn this past offseason. I just wonder – you know, for a lot of these coaches around the SEC, we didn't have a whole lot of turnover, right? Brian Harson's out, Hugh Freeze is in, but how many of these guys' jobs are safe come next year? You know, how many guys are not at SEC Media Days a year from right now? Well, Auburn goes into the portal and they find their quarterback from Michigan State out of all places. And do you really think that Auburn goes into the portal without? naming a starting quarterback already not on campus. That's that's kind of where the mindset is for a lot of Auburn Tiger fans. Is this going to be their quarterback for the next couple of years in Peyton Thorne? Well, he's definitely going to be their starter for this year, I feel like, unless Robbie Ashford suddenly has some kind of, uh, you know, come-to-Jesus moment where he suddenly becomes a, a great passer and uh, sets the world on fire. Uh, I, I say kudos to Hugh Freeze and kudos to Philip Montgomery, not resting on their laurels. I mean, they came out of spring and said, we don't like what we saw out of the out of the quarterback spot. We don't like what we saw out of the receiver spot. And they went into the portal, and they've added some pieces. You go get Caleb Burton from Ohio State, obviously a very highly touted uh, you know, recruit just two years ago. And Peyton Thorne, a very productive starter in Michigan State these last two years. And you know, I was talking with some people. They said he could have stayed at Michigan State and things would have been fine. He was looking for the next challenge. He wanted to go play on a bigger stage in the SEC. And so uh, it's a big pickup for Hugh Freeze and company. And I think this is going to, you know, does it improve their win total dramatically? I don't know. But at least it's going to make them more competitive. And I, I think that's the big story. If somebody asked me this morning, what's the biggest storyline of the SEC this offseason? I said, I think. I think what's happening at Auburn, um, I don't think Auburn is going to win the West or, you know, get to nine, 10 wins this year, but I think they're going to establish a foundation, you know, even a six and six, seven and five type season, go to a bowl game, you go win it. I think that sets the foundation for what Hugh is trying to build there. You keep recruiting, you get another top 10 class in next year. I think they'll really be cooking with something. So um, again, you know, is Auburn going to be a big factor in the SEC this year? I don't think so but at least they're starting to lay that foundation in the brickwork. And I think two, three years from now, we're going to look back and go, man, did Auburn nail it on the head and bring it in Hugh Freeze. We're speaking with Chris Gordy, locked on SEC. And one of our listeners in the app brought up a, a, a terrific question, and I know with you being in that Texas area, record after 58 games at Texas A&M, Kevin Sumlin, 42-16, and 16, Jimbo Fisher, 37-21. and 21. Why is it that the A&M booster or donor or what do you, president's office, whoever's calling the shots, athletic department, had that type of leniency for Jimbo and not for Sumlin? And because we know the money's in Texas for sure. But wh why, why is that? Why do you think that is? Well, 
Well, I think at least with Jimbo, he brought a championship pedigree. He won a championship at Florida State. So when they hired him, the the, the mantra has been, oh, this guy's been all over the SEC. He's coached at Auburn. He's coached at LSU. Uh, you know, he was a head coach of Florida State, and he won a national championship there with, with Jameis Winston. I think you, you think of him as championship pedigree. And it's no offense to, to Kevin Sumlin, who was a pretty good coach in his own right. I think he still isn't appreciated for what he was able to do there. Um, you know, and he had Johnny Manziel, and, and, you know, then he went to Kenny Hill and was never really the same, couldn't find the right quarterback. I think Jimbo's going through a little bit of the same thing. He's not been able to find his quarterback. At Florida State, it was a lot easier when you had Christian Ponder, and then you had, you know, E.J. Manuel, and then eventually Jameis Winston. Yeah, it's easy to look, to look good when you got, you know, really, really talented quarterbacks like that. At A&M, man, it's just been a revolving door of guys, and – you know, Connor Wegman showed some signs in the backstretch last season, but I think that's why this offseason was so big. You know, Jimbo at times, his offense looked archaic. It looked like he was running a 2001 offense where we're going to run the football, we're going to use tight ends, we're going to dump it to the you know wide receiver screens. No, man, you've got to stretch the field more, and that's what they're hoping that Bobby Petrino is going to bring into it for him this year. So. Uh, we're going to find out, man. I've had some people predict. I think Barrett Salee even said this week that he thinks it's going to be a debacle. He thinks Jimbo will be fired by mid midseason. Him and Bobby Petrino will butt heads, and a change will be made. Um, I don't know. I've had some people in Aggie Town tell me the relationship has worked out so far, and that Jimbo is deferring to Petrino. It is letting him run the run the offense. So, if he does that, um, look, this is the most talent that Bobby Petrino's ever coached. Uh, four and five star talent up and down that roster at AM. They've recruited very well. If it all comes together, man, I could see AM getting to nine wins this year and, and getting a nice bowl game and improving. But you're right. For what the Aggies' expectation was and the money they're paying Jimbo, man, they, they had aspirations of national championships, not just eight, nine win seasons. And you mentioned that, of course, Texas AM hasn't had the same level of talent at quarterback that. Jimbo Fisher had in his time at Florida State but you know the common perception around Jimbo even with Chuck Oliver whose show is syndicated on this station here um, you know that Jimbo's this some type of quarterback whisperer but do you think that's necessarily true or his time at A&M's kind of showing some chinks in that armor yeah I think I think 10 years ago Jimbo Fisher was a, was a great quarterback whisperer but as you guys know, times change, and you have to evolve. And Nick Saban obviously saw that, that writing on the wall 10 years ago and brought in Lane Kiffin and said, we got to adapt, we got to adjust. And I think that's what this moment was for, for uh, Jimbo Fisher. I, 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 again, I go back to um, I'm hesitant on the Petrino hire. You know, maybe, you know, would he have been better off going to get like a 31-year-old offensive up-and-coming guy, you know, like – kind of like Arkansas did a couple years ago with, with Kendall Bryles. Like, is it is it better to go younger and, and infuse those those thoughts? We're, we're going to find out. But, yeah, man, it's it, it's put up or shut up time. For the money they're paying Jimbo Fisher, if he does not at least, you know, have marked improvement there with A&M this year, I think they're going to get rid of him. And they've got the money to do it. Those people, when I say, like, SEC fans are hungry for a championship, AM fans are desperate for a championship. Like, they are so desperate to be relevant. They got out of their big brother's shadow in Texas, you know, leaving the Big 12 years ago. They came over to the SEC, and they want, they want nothing more than to stick it to the Longhorns and say, look, we won a championship in the SEC before you did. 
Uh, they've only got one more season before Big Brother comes over to the conference, so they got to do it quick. But yeah, it's just it's looking like in hindsight, this has not been the home run hire they were hoping for. We're speaking with Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC host, and Chris, a couple of more questions for you with this college baseball scandal that's going on in Alabama. And now you're starting to look at Iowa and Iowa State suspending student athletes. Is this just the tip of the iceberg or and what's underneath is really no one else can see. But as you continue to to have a Titanic type of collision, it just tears away at the fabrics of collegiate athletics as we know it. Yeah, I. I don't think it's going to get that serious. I mean, baseball is the one sport where you kind of can't have this kind of thing, uh, you know, where you, you scratch your ace starter, you know, a couple hours before first pitch and don't tell anybody but your, you know, but your bookie friend or whatever. Like, that, that's possible. And all the other sports, it's kind of hard. Like, SEC football, it would be hard to – for the amount of money you're getting paid, it would be hard to go and sabotage a game and tip off a buddy to go make a big bet. Like, it's just – Two and three, 
you'll do what Auburn just did, and that's win win a series against LSU. You you throw in the towel on the schemes game, but you go win the other two, and that's exactly what Auburn did. So again, congrats to Butch Thompson and crew. They got an opportunity here to win some more games, make some noise, and who knows? I mean, we know Ole Miss struggled for a good bit of last year. They punched their ticket. And they get hot at the right time, and they go win another championship. Who's to say Auburn can't do the same here in a couple weeks? Chris Gordy, thank you so much for joining us here on the final drive. How can everyone follow your terrific coverage of everything that's SEC? Yeah, just locked on SEC wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we got a good episode today, kind of uh, going all around the conference with some coaching tidbits. Tomorrow's show, we dissect our buddy Brad Crawford at 24-7 Sports did bold projections for every team in the country, including the SEC. So we break down every one of those scenarios. And Bama fans, you're not going to be happy. Uh, he's got you with two losses. So we got that broken down up at Locked on SEC. Chris, thank you so much. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Chris Gordy, Locked on SEC, joining us here on the final drive. And we'll talk a little bit more about what Alabama and Auburn both are adding to their football roster when we return here on the final drive. Hi, this is Dan Jennings with the Washington Nationals, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive. And before we hit 430, just some portal news for Alabama and Auburn football fans. Alabama adds to the secondary. Trey Amos transferred from Louisiana Lafayette, played corner for them in the Raging Cajuns, had 35 tackles in 11 games. He'll become the newest member of the Crimson Tide and Auburn continues to add to the offensive line and since the end of the season Auburn has added eight offensive linemen and this commit is the second one from Tulsa six foot three 307 pounds Jaden Muskrat of Tulsa the Hurricanes again the second Tulsa lineman that is joining former Tulsa coach and offensive coordinator Philip Montgomery for the Auburn Tigers. Their 16th overall portal entry, but Alabama getting stronger defensively in the portal. Auburn getting stronger offensively in the portal. So two more additions to both Alabama and Auburn's football teams. And no surprise that when that portal opened, that if your name was in it, you were going to have an opportunity to continue to add to the coaches, Hugh Freeze and Nick Saban, both, Jared. Key additions, no surprise, though. Nick Saban, one of the best, and so did Hugh Freeze. They are addressing issues at both offense and defense. Absolutely. Both teams uh, not where they wanted to be last year. Of course, Alabama on the outside looking into the playoff. Auburn just a catastrophic season, to say the least, and uh, kind of finished strong with Cadillac uh, as the interim, but with Hugh Freeze addressing things. They need to be addressed in that program, and I think both teams have the chance this year to improve on what they did last year. That's what you love to see teams improving because I always say when Alabama and Auburn football are better, the blueprint was laid 7-6 and six in Nick Saban's first year, and third year he's winning a national championship. The same expectations come for Hugh Freeze. And again, the final drive on WNSP 105.5. 
Coming up next, someone who makes contributions to the SEC Network along with Dog Nation. We'll speak with our next guest, Mike Griffith, making his debut here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Stuart Fink for the PGA Tour. You're listening to WNSB Sports Radio in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Jarrett Bates sitting in for Michael Brauner, who's on vacation this week. Want to thank my man Jarrett Bates for holding it down for me and getting one of the get in touch with Mike Griffith from Dog Nation, and again, a great contributor to the SEC Network, making his debut here on the final drive. You hear him during the college football season in the morning with Lee Shervanian on Saturday mornings. Mike, good afternoon, and welcome to the final drive. Hey, how's it going, Corey? Man, I'm absolutely too blessed to be stressed. Thank you so much for asking, and Wanted to get you on for a couple of reasons. And the first question I had earlier in my show was, how deep does this collegiate betting or gambling go with collegiate athletes? Of course, we know about Coach Bohannon being fired in Alabama and the student athletes at Iowa and Iowa State now being suspended also. But will it continue or will it kind of change the face of collegiate athletics the same way NIL has? Well, I don't know about that. I do think we'll see some legislation to make the availability of players more transparent to kind of take that specialized knowledge out of the hands of the gamblers, um, you know, that they get from whether it's from, you know, managers or the accused coaches, uh, players. Uh, so I think more transparency and availability of players is a way to kind of short circuit this. Kirby Smart currently being the king of college football. The Georgia Bulldogs with 25 players drafted within the last couple of years, more so than any school in the entire country, which leads you to know why they are back-to-back -back national champions. Does King Kirby get knocked off his perch anytime soon? Because he doesn't make the schedule. He just beats who's ever in front of him. Well, I don't know. You know, they've they've had some fortunate breaks over the last two years, as you know. You know, if they if they don't beat Clemson, they don't get a second chance at Alabama. Um, obviously, uh, the game against Ohio State, if that field goal's good, they're not playing for a national championship. So you got to be good, but you got to get the breaks too. Uh, you know, things would seem to line up well for them to be a contender, but kind of like one of those uh, NASCAR races at Talladega. You know, you want to be one of the four or five cars in the lead pack there on the last lap, and then things just got to sort themselves out. So uh, he's built a champion. He's built an annual championship contender for sure. And, um, you know, they do seem to have a, a conducive schedule this year. Well, Mike, the dogs defense the last couple of years has definitely led them to national championships. And when you look at pretty much every player, whether it's a D lineman, linebacker, or secondary player, being scooped up and most of them finding their ways on the Philadelphia Eagles and the Philadelphia Eagles are the Bulldogs 2.0. How impressive has 
this Georgia defense been in regards to going down as one of the greatest defenses in the history of college football? Well, I mean, I think the 2021 team has a pretty good case. You mentioned they had, um, I guess, ultimately seven first-rounders. And during the regular season, uh, they only gave up, uh, I think, 6.9 points per game, which was the best since 1986 Oklahoma. Now, Bryce Young put 41 on them in the SEC title game, but uh, obviously Bama struggled the second time around. Uh, Georgia had that mulligan. That's why when you ask if they can do it again, I, I say, well, you know, they've had some good fortune. But really all teams have had good fortune. You, know, you think about 2017, Bama lost by double digits to Auburn and somehow got in the playoff even without playing in the league championship game. So, you know, a lot of it's luck and fate. Uh, you know, but the players, uh, the teams that recruit the best players are going to contend. And, you know, right now that's Georgia and Alabama. And it, it looks like Brian Kelly's got something going at LSU. Kenny McIntosh made his journey down here to Mobile, Alabama in the Reese's Senior Bowl and winds up finding himself and his name called in the NFL draft. How underrated and how special can Kenny McIntosh be at that next level? Well, I think he's really good, and, and, and Jim Nagy thinks he's good too. You know, I, I talked with Jim Nagy, the executive director at the Senior Bowl, and, of course, Jim is one of the probably most elite authorities on NFL talent out there, um, you know, outside NFL teams, you know, there's no one that really understands talent or scouts it better than Jim. And Jim had Kenny rated as their highest back at the senior bowl, which is interesting because Zach Charbonnet, who the Seahawks took in the second round was also at the senior bowl. So it just kind of shows you, you know, beauties in the eye of the beholder. And it also shows you, you know, how much they put on the combine because Kenny ran a, a four, six, two forty that, you know, it was outside the, the bounds of, you know, what those scouts want to see out of a 40 time. But, you know, as Jim told me, he thinks that's a really overrated number, uh, especially at the tailback position. Well, Mike, you look at also the transfer portal that has really changed the game. Alabama with additions today, Auburn with additions today in the transfer portal. Is that somewhere Kirby Smart will be continuing to lean on to, to continue to get depth in his roster? Because you look at what Deion Sanders has done to Colorado's roster and just absolutely turned it upside down on its head and only having 18% of scholarship athletes still remaining that lets him know where he's going to go get his next set of winners for the Buffaloes. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if we're ready to, you know, judge what Deion Sanders has done as a success or not as a success. It's kind of the anomaly. Um, you know, Kirby doesn't really rely on the portal. They have a couple guys they've added, a couple receivers, uh, Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi State and um kid from Missouri, wide receiver from Missouri, uh, Dominic Lovett. And I think Lovett's going to be an impact guy. But for the most part, Georgia just uses it to kind of fill needs if guys get injured or if there's some guys that portal out. Um, but they don't rely on it heavily. They still build their team through recruiting. Now, you made a good point about how Dion's trying to, you know, take shortcut and, and, you know, do it with portal guys. And maybe, you know, he doesn't plan on being at Colorado four or five years or trying to build the program in a conventional manner through recruiting and development. Um, it remains to be seen how that's going to work out for him. I'm sure there's going to be some unintended consequences, uh, good and bad. Um, I guess we're all watching, uh, which is more than we would have said before Dion went out there. Speaking with Mike Griffith, does a wonderful job 
covering the Georgia Bulldogs and Dog Nation. And, and the quarterback battle across the SEC, whether it's at Alabama, whether it's at Auburn, whether it's at Georgia, will there be that type of battle at Georgia for quarterback or the uncertainty the way that there is at Auburn and Alabama at this point in time? Yeah, I mean, it's happening right now. I mean, Kirby said it's not settled. I mean, you know, Carson Beck looked really good in the spring game, and, and he has the most amount of experience. But, you know, Kirby's kind of let us know this is probably going to go into the season. You know, I expect Carson to start, but George's got a really capable number two. And these are guys that have been in the program going into their fourth and third year, respectively. So they've been developed. I uh, haven't had many opportunities. So, um, you know, as far as battle goes, uh, I'd call it more of a quarterback you know, race maybe because it's not like loser leaves. I mean, Brock Vandegrift has said he's going to graduate from Georgia in the fall. And, you know, if Carson returns, I would expect he would get through the season as well. And the third stringer, Gunnar Stockton, doesn't have any plans on living either. So you got three guys that are going to stick around. I think it's a pretty strong quarterback situation. Um, as far as the others, I can't really comment. I know that Alabama added a guy to the portal, and it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty there. Um, I guess we'll see what happens at, at LSU. They've got two really talented quarterbacks as well. I saw both of them against Georgia. I think they threw for like 540 yards in the SEC title game. So those guys both look pretty accomplished to me. Yeah, a lot of the talk around Georgia centers around their defense and Stetson Bennett and the skill players that they've had these past couple years. But they also lost a guy in Warren McClendon who was here at the Senior Bowl, had a great week here got drafted to the Los Angeles Rams, who really needed a lot of help at offensive line. And he gave up zero sacks since 2021 at Georgia. And who's there to replace him for the dogs? Yeah, they lost both their offensive tackles. You know, Broderick Jones was a first-round pick. He was a junior, so he wasn't at the senior bowl. So, yeah, they lost their bookend tackles that didn't give up any sacks last year. And at right tackle, they've got a guy by the name of Marius Mims that's a five-star. So, um, he looks ready to go. Uh, they plugged him in when, when Warren got injured before the LSU game, and there really wasn't much drop-off. They're pretty strong there. You know, replacing a first-round pick at left tackle, that's going to be tough. They got a couple guys, a, a guy named Ernest Green Jr., uh, whose father played in the NFL. Uh, he's about 6'5", 330, uh, real skilled guy, redshirt freshman, real good pass blocker. And then they got another guy named Austin Blasky, who's a, um, I want to say a third- or fourth-year guy, a uh, real tough guy, real physical guy. Uh, those two guys have kind of rotated there through the spring. So the way Kirby looks at it, he says you got to have three tackles anyway. I think he said each of the last five years, Georgia's had to use three tackles because of injury. So it appears they would have the boxes checked there as well. So, so you would say as a term that's kind of been coined by Alabama and some other teams throughout the years, it's really not a rebuild. It's a reload at those spots. Yeah, I mean, they've had really good recruiting classes over the years. And, you know, when you're able to, you know, the key now is you got to retain those guys. I mean, yeah, you know, fan bases celebrate those guys on the front end when they sign, but you got to look and see who's still there and who hasn't transferred out in two or three years. And, you know, we know there's been attrition uh, at elite schools. A lot of times kids don't want to wait three or four years to play at Georgia or Alabama. And, you know, they can transfer out and go somewhere else. Um, and, and they do. And, and there's, I call that natural attrition because coaches, you know, will recruit over a guy. Like, for example, of a, a lineman, a reserve lineman from Georgia that's a junior or senior that's still second or third team, 
um, getting beat out by a freshman or sophomore, well, he probably should transfer because there's someone younger than him um, that the team's recruited that's passed him by on the depth chart. So that's kind of been the attrition we've seen at Georgia. Um, they lost A.D. Mitchell. He would have been a number one receiver. That was more of a family situation and probably an NIL endorsement uh, deal from Texas. You know, But for the most part, their starters stick around, and I think that's probably pretty much true at Alabama as well. It really is. And Stetson Bennett gets drafted by the Rams and is having an opportunity to be tutored by another Georgia Bulldog. I think that's a great fit for him. And Jalen Carter, a lot of talk was whether his draft stock would slip, but he's drafted, and again, the Eagles are very happy where he lands. So those two Bulldogs continue to make their mark at the next level in the NFL. Look forward to covering them, and I know that they're going to continue to make Georgia fans be very proud that they put on that Bulldog uniform. Yeah, I mean, I think Jalen Carter will be an impact player uh, with Philadelphia. I mean, he's um, just an incredible talent, you know, a disruptor. Uh, Kirby calls him a train wrecker. He's a guy that can, you know, play the run gap, uh, you know, but also get to the passer, you know, without sacrificing any of the, you know, gap integrity, as they call it. And those guys are kind of rare. Uh, you know, I don't know about Stetson, you know. I mean, we never really know. Um, you know, he's in an interesting situation behind Stafford, a guy that's, you know, his back issues are pretty well documented. You could you could see Stetson pressed into action. And, um, you know, I really don't know what to expect next. Uh, there were games at Georgia when he looked really good in prime time and, you know, there were other games when he didn't look as good, you know, so he was somewhat inconsistent. Um, you know, the theory here uh, is that, you know, Stetson's got a lot of talent and, and then he's just now really, you know, developing it. You know, it's taking him some time to, you know, work and, and kind of get these skills that, that he's always had the talent for. And, you know, to your point, it's a great situation working behind Matthew Stafford. I can't imagine really a better situation for Stetson, especially as high as he went. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. Yeah, and you got to remember that Stetson Bennett's already scored six touchdowns in SoFi Stadium. Yeah, well, they won't be playing any uh, purple peewee teams in the NFL. <laughs> That's a great point, Mike. Mike Griffith, contributor, SEC Network, does a phenomenal job at Dog Nation. Mike, how can people follow all of your wonderful coverage of everything that is Dog Nation? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at MikeGriffith32 or, like you were mentioning, the DogNation.com website. So I really, really appreciate that. I always love coming down to the Senior Bowl and um, really appreciate, um, you know, Mobile, right, um, Native Mobilian, and enjoyed, um, you know, having a chance to live back there working for the Register in the 90s. So I really appreciate the opportunity, Corey. Thank you. No, thank you, Mike Griffith, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Look forward to talking to you at SEC Media Days and as we get closer and closer to the kickoff of college football. Oh, we'll look forward to it, man. It's coming up quick. Absolutely. Mike Griffith joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back to put the finishing touches on our number two. Hey, this is Dabo Sweeney. And you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Thank Mike Griffith for joining us from Dog Nation. And, of course, you can hear him on Saturdays during the SEC tailgater shows when the season starts. And looking forward to see if Georgia can make that history. Three championships in a row. Be the first time since it's been done since Minnesota 
was able to pull it off, I believe, in maybe the 30s or the early 40s. But it's been a long time ago since you've had a three-time national champion. And, of course, here locally, South Alabama's softball program and Becky Clark, she gets honored as the Sunbelt Conference Coach of the Year, along with Olivia Lackey being named the Sunbelt Conference Pitcher of the year so you have two great teams and we talked to coach Clark a couple of weeks ago and that's prior to them going into their series with the raging Cajuns they lost that series were swept but since then have not lost and are having a lot of momentum going into the Sunbelt Conference tournament yeah 13 straight wins for the Jags over at Jaguar Field um, of course pitcher of the year Olivia Lackey coach of the year Becky Clark and uh, just a handful of all Sunbelt selections Meredith Kill, Victoria Ortiz who's a local product from Baker High School, go Hornets uh, Mackenzie Brasher, Jenna Hardy both selected to the second team but that's not to take away from other impact players like Odalis Cordova, Sasha Willems and Faith Academy alum Gabby Stagner. Well, Becky Clark the second straight coach of the year for in the Sunbelt Conference for her her third all time in 19 years at South Alabama she's had and unfortunately for the Jaguars the tournament that starts on Thursday is being played in Lafayette where one of the best teams in the country is from your same conference and I'm not sure if the Sunbelt Conference would be a one bid league or not but if it is you want it to be you having the automatic bid and not having to sit and wait for selection day to see if you're going to make the softball tournament. You, you want to handle your business in the Jags in single elimination style. We'll have an opportunity to open up Thursday, and we'll see how they wind up doing. Yeah, Thursday at 10 a.m., they get JMU. They uh, drew the three seed. It was a funny situation. Uh, they had the better conference win percentage than Marshall, but even though softball isn't a division sport in the Sun Belt, they said that Marshall was the Sun Belt East champion, gave them the two seed. A little bit of a weird situation there, but South sitting at 38 and 13, good enough for 40th in the RPI. So looking like a good chance of making a regional, but you never know um, with how the RPI could shift this weekend. And, of course, you've got automatic qualifiers. So South has to hope that a lot of these higher-ranked teams don't take the – conference tournament weekend off and give up a lot of automatic qualifying spots well they were fun to watch this entire season and of course today's south alabama baseball game is canceled as the green wave we're supposed to be rolling into town that game is not going to be played but the coastal carolina series is one that's going to be huge for mark calvey and the program as they have to go ahead and seed well enough to where they don't eliminate themselves from having an opportunity to make the Sunbelt Conference tournament. Yeah, right now they're on the bubble. Um, of course, losing three straight 90 miles away in Hattiesburg didn't help last weekend after being red hot coming into the weekend. Dropping that series in a sweep fashion was not what the guys wanted. Um, a huge series coming up, though. Number eight ranked Coastal Carolina, seventh in some polls. And that offense is electric. The pitching's going to have to show up for South Alabama this weekend. And, and if it doesn't, then South Alabama will find itself waiting to rebuild and rebrand itself for the 20. 20- 
23-24 season, all you can ask to do is kind of do what Auburn has done here lately. Auburn baseball was on the outside looking out, and they had to have a series win against Mississippi State, I do believe, about three weeks ago. They win that series, and then you look and you turn around, and then they win the LSU series, and they win another series, and they put themselves to where they found themselves back in the top 25. They don't have to worry about looking from the outside looking in. And the Alabama Crimson Tide win a series after their head coach is fired. And I know they're looking forward to continue to make noise. Absolutely. And all the teams in the state of Alabama have been very good this year. South Alabama had a very contentious series with Troy. I know early in the season during non-conference play, they caught UAB and picked up a big win against them I mean throughout the state it's been very good baseball all year long South Alabama historically a really good baseball program not quite where they want to be this year but with a series win this weekend could really make some noise as we move closer to the Sunbelt tournament well we'll make some more noise here at five o'clock as we'll get into Hall of Fame coach Denny Crum passing away we'll talk about the additions to Alabama and Auburn's football roster Will Bobby Huggins survive at West Virginia? We'll also talk about the gambling scandal that's going on at Iowa and Iowa State that's already hit Alabama baseball. And the comments made by Lane Kippen and Jimbo Fisher in regards to Nick Saban and Alabama football. All coming up here at the top of the 5 o'clock hour on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to hour number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Jarrett Bates who's sitting in for a vacationing, Michael Brauner, and Hope Brauner's enjoying his vacation with his family, and of course it's Business as usual here at WNSP as in the offseason, you see all of the coaches go on their tours and have certain things to say about different schools. And one of the things that I love in the offseason is there's probably more trash talk by college coaches in the offseason than there is during the regular season. Because week to week, you know that you're being pressed opponent after opponent after opponent and you don't really have time to to think about anyone else besides your program and of course Lane Kiffin he's that guy to where he he's the king of Twitter in regards to college football if you ask me, my opinion and he says he has an unusual relationship with Nick Saban he feels like Nick Saban's that family member where he can joke about him, but if someone else does, it pisses 
him off. And that's a quote from Lane Kiffin. And, of course, also Jimbo Fisher at a meeting in Houston with A&M Boosters. One of the boosters blurts out, we want to beat Bama's ass. Well, Jimbo says, we should have had them a year ago. We will, meaning that they're going to go ahead and, and whoop Alabama's ass. And he says, I'm sleeping well right now. Jimbo Fisher sleeping well up against that Brink truck that A&M rolled up to his door. Ten-year, $95 million. Brian Kelly makes the comments. Of course, you're going to be pro your team in regards to what you have to say. but And you're going to tell boosters what they want to hear. But the thing with Jimbo Fisher is a couple of years ago when he was asked and made a statement that he would go ahead and take care of Nick Saban. And Nick Saban said, well, is Jimbo going to beat you this year? And the classic liner for Saban was in, in golf. <laughs> and, of course, that year – it was the first year that Jimbo Fisher defeated Nick Saban. Lane Kiffin 0-3 against Nick Saban. Jimbo Fisher 1-5 overall. And I think that Jimbo Fisher just better be careful what he asked for in regards to, to taking on the Crimson Tide. So with the whole Nick Saban questioning what's Jimbo going to beat me in in golf, it, it, it made me think for a second – wouldn't it be cool to see Jimbo and Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban and, you know, the yearly The Match where they have celebrity a celebrity golf matchup of two people? So, I mean, if you're listening along in the app, I mean, who would your favorite The Match be between two celebrities or uh, people in the sports world? Who would you want to see square off? Because when Brady and Barkley were mic'd up a couple of years ago, I loved it because The Match – is getting ready to come back around. I think Patrick Mahomes may be pairing up with someone here coming up in the match for golf. And when you have a, a pairing partner, of course, I don't know if you would like to see Nick Saban take on Lane Kiffin or Jimbo Fisher in golf because I know Jimbo Fisher joined Nick Saban for basketball games, for the daily basketball games. And, of course, it's always Lane Kiffin jumped in there too so would love to see that but what is the ultimate match between celebrities who would we love to see go at it and just to to that point this year it'll be uh two two sets of athletes that are teammates patrick mahomes and travis kelsey squaring off against the splash brothers steph curry and clay thompson clay thompson and steph curry playing golf if they're not careful they'll be able to get a head start yeah, they'll that. start practicing next week if they don't they don't get it together these next couple games against uh, the Lakers. Have to tighten that up for sure. But the statements that get made during the offseason are always quite classic as you get ready for the meetings that are taking place in Destin toward the end of this month. There's always some great sound bites and always some great information that comes out of that. But the biggest information that has come out of collegiate athletics is the 26 Iowa athletes, the Hawkeyes across five sports, baseball, football, men's basketball, men's track and field and wrestling, all kind of in the betting realm being looked at for the illegal wagering on collegiate athletics, 15 Iowa state athletes 
out of three sports, football, wrestling, track and field. And some athletes have been suspended off of the Iowa baseball team. Not the coach, but the athletes being looked at and being pulled against Ohio State this week. And so far now, 111 student athletes being looked at. And here's Sean Jones says, Tennessee's baseball coach versus any other SEC baseball coach in the match. That would be... Maybe let's just have a... Maybe WNSP could sponsor, bring them down to Robert Trent Jones and uh, uh, have an SEC coaches celebrity pro-am and baseball basketball football get them all down here and they can all jaw at it and play a little golf for charity you 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 would love to see them play for charity that's for sure and having an opportunity but it's all about matchups the matchups have to be right and again there would be no betting allowed by any ncaa athletes the coaches couldn't bet on they couldn't bet they couldn't call their friend either couldn't do it couldn't do that at all and if they were due to do that, then it would be a whole different situation because that's what's got 111 student-athletes being investigated currently. And that's real tough when you look at the scandal that broke at Alabama a week ago and now it moves to Iowa and Iowa State. And where else will it continue to trickle down to? That's That's going to be interesting to take a look at. And as far as... Betting on themselves, Bob Huggins, he betted on himself. He betted on himself that he would be able to say what he wanted to say, a homophobic slur, and got himself into a lot of trouble. It may have cost himself a job. And when you go and look at throughout, whether it's from an announcer standpoint or from a player standpoint, being fired or fined or suspended from a team for saying insensitive remarks. Bobby Huggins, longtime West Virginia head coach, longtime Cincinnati coach, makes not one but two homophobic slur remarks. The the things that you don't talk about. Religion. He doubled down. He doubled down. Not to make a pun on the gambling side. He definitely doubled down, Jared. And, And it's religion and the slur that are going to possibly put him out of a job. And Bob Huggins, if he is released by West Virginia, I know that's not the way he wanted his Hall of Fame career to end. You see Bobby Knight and the way that his career ended at Indiana. Nobody wanted to see Bobby Knight's career end the way it did, fighting for and against the institution that he helped win national championships for. Bobby Huggins has not won national championships, but you don't want to see him go out that way. You want to see coaches go out on their own terms. Coach K last year, he went out on his own terms. Denny Crum at Louisville, 86 years old, passed away today. Won a national championship in 1980 and 1986. 30-year career at Louisville. Some six Final Fours, won over 675 games, is a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. Denny Crum passes away, and we asked and posed a question earlier today in the app. If you had to have that Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches, only four heads on Mount Rushmore, what four heads would go 
from a collegiate basketball standpoint on that Mount Rushmore, would it be Coach Krzyzewski, Pat Summit, Dean Smith, and Denny Crum? Because you're going to leave some great collegiate possibilities for coaches out there. And mm-hmm. if if you're looking from a just an overall coaching standpoint, because Pat Summit, she she could have coached the men. That's how much respect she she earned from the game. Yep. And I think Gino Oriema is the same way. And he surpassed her number of championships and her her wins. But she was the trendsetter. Pat Summit belongs on that Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches. And Denny Crum passing away at 86 and seeing him coach Never Nervous Purvis Ellison and winning that national championship a couple of times at Louisville is something that I know the Cardinals wanted to get back when they hired one Rick Pitino. Wins a national championship, but has to ultimately take that banner down. Very similar to the Fab Five, not winning the national championship, but making it to the Final Four and having that banner removed. You you hate to see success erased or removed from collegiate athletics. You never want to see that. And back to the... Uh, Bob Huggins issue with uh, the homophobic slur. It came to mind uh, 10 years ago, almost to the date, Rutgers firing uh, Mike Rice for throwing basketball players, uh, throwing basketballs at the players and using the same uh, new proverbial uh, F-bomb towards the players, um, calling them that in practice. And so just a sticky situation when it comes to college basketball and coaches but when you when you look at that Mount Rushmore to me I mean I think I think the three certain ones if if we're taking into account men and women's basketball and just college basketball as a whole I I think no one really I don't think there's a debate or person out there that can debate against John Wooden Pat Summit and Mike Krzyzewski now you're fourth I feel like there's probably a hundred different coaches throughout the years that you can make a case for but I think I think those three are just in a different tier when it comes to college basketball. And I'm someone who, I mean, I watch hundreds of college basketball games each year. I mean, it's always been my one of my favorite sports. Probably my absolute favorite sport is college basketball. But I think those three are just on a completely different tier than anyone else. Being on a different tier, does that mean that Coach Wooden gets the biggest head, as as a user in the app said? I, I think that his his – face should be larger than anyone else's if you have that basketball Mount Rushmore because four championships and again Denny Crum winning two Jay Wright at Villanova having an opportunity to win national championships Dean Smith of course winning national championships Pat Summit winning the national championships someone's going to be left off there yeah and if you look at like how Mount Rushmore actually looks you know the third one's kind of (laughs) like tucked in there um of the four so like i think the first two would be summit and wooden and then you know lincoln's kind of on the opposite side standing alone i think that would be shashevsky and then in that middle that third one i think you could argue really for a lot of different names down through the years that have been uh meaningful to the sport as a whole of basketball and specifically college basketball yeah and and you you hate to see denny crumb wonderful life at 86 years old win that would, would you leave Roy Williams off of there there's one Bob Knight another and do you think that Lute Olson he's one Nolan Richardson 
I, I think that Larry Brown is one that can definitely be considered to, to be on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches. But the dean, the godfather, is without question John Wooden from a basketball Absolutely. coaching standpoint. And I, I just, our condolences to Denny Crum and his family, but what a tremendous life that he led and having an opportunity to go ahead and, and win a couple of national championships, spending his entire career at one institution is very special. When we come back here on the final drive, we'll talk a little bit of the NBA action that's going on last night and tonight. And, of course, we'll talk about the new additions to both Alabama and Auburn's football roster via the portal. You don't want to miss that. Coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. This is Jim Nagy, the Executive Director of the Senior Bowl. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And don't forget to tune in on Thursday, 3.30, special guest John Harbaugh, the head football coach of the Baltimore Ravens, will be joining us here on the final drive to talk about team focus and what it means to him and him coming down here the middle of the month don't want to miss that great interview coming up with john harbaugh this thursday at 3 30 p.m and last night the miller light john Rachetti golf show was in effect and today we're going to bring you the dan hart llc engineered product and services golf report and the big news is about Jordan Spieth not being able to participate, John. And I know that that's a loss for golf because he's he's trying to make a little PGA history but can't do so if he's not playing. Yeah, he just, uh, just I guess, news broke yesterday afternoon, uh, Corey, that uh, he's got a wrist injury or hand injury or something to that nature. And uh, he's had to pull out of the Byron Nelson. I don't know what extent this is going to have going into the PGA Championship, will be the, which will be the second major of 2023 uh, next week at Oak Hill Golf Club up in Rochester, Rochester New York. And from early indications, look like the weather might be okay up there with decent weather for the, for the guys. So looking forward to that. Yeah, it's a shame for uh, Jordan Spieth, but, uh, you know, hopefully he'll uh, get another opportunity and get a chance to uh, hopefully he's not too big and serious of an injury that, He'll be able to play next week at the PGA Championship. What else is going on in golf? We know the PGA Championship, of course, when you look at UPN or Live Golf, of course, it takes over on the weekends on Saturdays and Sundays. And that's something that I've always been intrigued with. As soon as the Live League formed, the amount of money and the competition there, it, it's not bad at all. And the money is great. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. If, if you're a Liv fan, no question. Obviously, it's uh, been a big, top, huge talk topic in the world of golf, live golf. But uh, you know, it is. We'll see. We'll see how this all pans out down the road. I mean, they're only in their second year, so we'll see how that pans out. But uh, Wendell Clark, uh, Wendell Clark had a great victory this past weekend at the Wells Fargo and an elevated, an elevated event. 
and uh, congrats picking up his first PGA Tour victory of his career, and he's uh, now you know, you know, you know, stamped his ticket to the PGA Championship next week, and uh, obviously the other news in the world of golf is obviously last week with uh, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, and Sergio Garcia all resigning their uh, DP European Tour membership, which means they will not be eligible a for the Ryder Cup or be a captain ever, you know, of the Ryder Cup. And all three of those players, 100%, uh, within the next 10 years, would have been a Ryder Cup captain. But uh, that will not happen now due to, the, due to them resigning uh, their membership. And you're, we all know they're all live players. So we'll keep an eye on that story, Corey. And also the big story, obviously, is the uh, road to the high school state championship at Grand National next Monday and Tuesday. Uh, a bunch of, you know, a couple, I know UMS Wright, both the boys and girls won their regional qualifiers, which are rare that both teams won, but congratulations to them. Though Both boys and girls will be in the state champs. I think Bayside boys also advanced. we got a few, a bunch of kids on the individual side that has advanced. That has advanced uh, but uh, anyway, we're going to wish them all best of luck Monday and Tuesday, and hopefully a local school will bring home a state championship to Mobile, Baldwin County. Well, we love when those blue maps come down here to Mobile and Baldwin County, and every Monday, the Miller Lite John Rashetti Golf Show right here on WNSP 105.5 following the final drive. John, thank you so much for bringing us this Dan Hart LLC Engineered Product and Services update on the world of golf. All right, guys. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. You got it. John Rachetti joining us this afternoon. And as I mentioned, you don't want to miss it. Nick Wiggins will be sitting in with me on Thursday, and we'll be talking with the Baltimore Ravens head football coach, John Harbaugh, as he will be coming down here to Mobile, Alabama for the team focus organization's great fundraising cause there. You don't want to miss him and Coach Steele both coming to the Team Focus organization. The banquet will be held in the middle of the month, and, of course, we will be talking with John Harbaugh about his reasons for wanting to come back and give to Team Focus and what the Team Focus organization means to him personally. So Nick Wiggins and I talking with John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, coming up this Thursday at 3.30 right here on the final drive on WNSP. And, of course, we had plenty of NBA action last night. You had the Lakers taking a 3-1 to one lead over the Warriors. And, of course, Steph, he waits that beautiful triple-double. His teammate, Klay Thompson, only nine points last night. And, of course, we have Philly at Boston tied two games apiece. Phoenix at Denver, two games apiece as well. So some great NBA action that's going down tonight. And we look forward to bringing you those results tomorrow as Al Whedon will be sitting in with me tomorrow in for the vacationing Michael Brauner. And coming up next, scheduled to join us is Steve Norman, the head football coach at Baker High School. The Hornets trying to stir up that nest as they get the pads a-popping. You can get a preview on Josh Flowers and the Baker Hornets this upcoming Thursday as we talk to Steve Norman. Coming up next here on The Final Drive.
Hi, this is ESPN founder Bill Rasmussen, and you're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Steve Norman making his way off of the Baker Hornets practice field. So we're efforting to reach him as Nathan has done a phenomenal job keeping us in line behind the glass, lining up our phone calls for sure. And he's efforting to get in touch with Steve Norman, who they played this Thursday against Ocean Springs. So spring is upon us for sure. And we were talking before we went to the break about talking to Steve Norman and we were also talking about the Alabama and Auburn portal that has been hit and Alabama added to its secondary today as Trey Amos transfers in from Louisiana Lafayette. He's a defensive back and had 35 total tackles, played 11 games last year for the Raging Cajuns and has an opportunity to come in and compete at the corner position and add some depth to the Crimson Tide. And, of course, the Auburn Tigers. If you asked any Auburn Tiger fan, they would tell you we have to improve from the quarterback position and from the O-line position, and Auburn was able to do that. Jaden Muskrat of Tulsa. He transfers in. He's the second Tulsa lineman. And you're 6'3", 307 pounds. You have an opportunity to make a difference for the Auburn Tigers. And that's something that I know they really needed and wanted to see. And that's eight total transfers that have come in from the offensive line standpoint, Jared. And that, that makes a huge difference within a program because if you can't doesn't matter if you have Patrick Mahomes in the backfield running for his life you 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 can't be creative and be as explosive as an offense as you want to be and with the transfers coming in at quarterback for the Auburn Tigers and also now at all offensive line Peyton Thorne has thrown for more yards than any Auburn quarterback that they've had since Jared Stidham and that's that's quite a long time, but you have to be able to protect your product. And how do you do that besides load up on the O line? Yeah, we talked with Mike Griffith from uh, uh, the Georgia uh, community about how they're replacing their offensive tackles. And you know, every team goes through this issue where you you got to have the anchors on that offensive line. Auburn, of course, last year had some issues, a lot of turnover at every spot on the offensive line, and. It really caused problems for Robbie Ashford, who's a really good athlete um, at the position of quarterback. And now, of course, with the transfer of Peyton Thorne, and regardless of whichever direction Coach Hugh Freeze wants to go, you're going to have to protect the guy. You're going to have to give him a clean pocket and time to make plays if you want to win football games. And a big pickup from Tulsa for Auburn. I mean, this guy's huge. Um, exactly what you want. If, if he's got any type of footwork and skill in the trenches, this is the type of anchor you need in the SEC. Eight new offensive linemen for the Auburn Tigers, and that is huge as far as not only being 307 pounds but being able to protect your quarterbacks is Hugh Freeze's first concern. And when you have 16th overall transfer into the program since the end of spring practice, that goes to show you 
the type of attitude adjustment that the Auburn Tigers are looking to give the SEC. And I, I really think they have an opportunity to win and be bowl eligible this year for sure. I'm not going to say they're going to win the SEC West, but it's step-by-step. Step. Seven and six, Nick Saban in his first year at Alabama. Hugh Freeze, if he can go seven and six, I think that the Auburn fans will be quite happy with that. Yeah, and to that point in the SEC West, of course I think Alabama's the odds-on favorite to win it, and probably rightfully so. I mean, we've seen what they've done year after year after year in the West, but this is a very wide open SEC West comparatively speaking to other years throughout the last decade. I mean, of course, LSU won it last year after Alabama fell twice in the regular season, one of them being to LSU. But I mean, you got to look at, I mean, Ole Miss, they've got a lot of depth on that roster, a lot of returning players and Lane Kiffin's a great play caller. They can shock anybody any given week. Arkansas is a very talented team. Texas A&M, all those five stars, Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino, they can give anyone trouble any given weekend. LSU could run it back as SEC West champions. Mississippi State has Will Rogers in what feels like his 32nd season uh, over there in Starkville. And then, uh, of course, Hugh Freeze is a great coach. He did a lot in his time at Ole Miss. Never got over the top to win the West, but bringing in all these transfers, it's really going to be a – Brand new look for the Auburn Tigers. Well, brand new look for the Auburn Tigers is having Cadillac back. And I think that even though you're pulling a new Cadillac into the garage to be serviced, I'm just glad that Cadillac Williams is coming back and still part of that Auburn program because the, the tremendous job that he did under the circumstances that he was thrown into and his passion and love and loyalty – People say loyalty over everything. And the amount of loyalty that he's shown Auburn and Auburn has shown him in return, even not being named the head coach, just having the word interim and having the chance mm -hmm. to be the first African-American to, to roam the sidelines of Jordan-Hare Stadium meant a lot to him. And he, he left it all out there on his shoulders and, and didn't hold back about his passion for Auburn and Hugh Freeze saw that, knew that, and Cadillac, a wonderful motivator and recruiter, and I think that Auburn will eventually get it turned around. It's just, it's going to definitely be patience in that process. And in one of the pressers in his time as interim coach, I remember him speaking, I don't want to misquote him, but to the point of when they were telling him that they were going to make a change in leadership and they wanted him to be the interim coach. He said he sat down with his running back room when he was the running backs coach and he asked them what, what they wanted in a head coach at Auburn University and they, they, they just told him that they wanted someone to believe in him, believe in them and bring the energy and that's exactly what he did and in turn the so-called Auburn family did the same. They showed up, sold it out and it was a great atmosphere at Jordan Hare and those uh, final couple games that he got to coach as the leader of the Auburn program but in that executive assistant head coach whatever I forget his exact title going into the freeze administration but um it, it should be a, a move in the right direction for Auburn retaining him and bringing in Hugh Freeze um but at the end of the day I I do think the SEC West is wide open this year but I do think Alabama is the odd on favorite to, to return 
to the top in the West. Georgia, Alabama. Will there be any fatigue, or is that just ultimately because of Georgia's schedule being what it is? And again, you have to play week by week, but being able to see an Alabama-Georgia rematch, is, is that what college football wants to see this season? Well, I think it, it begs the question, do you like dynasties or do you like parity? And different fans will tell you different things. And I think when the when the biggest and most historic programs are at the top of the sport, it's better for TV. It's better for guys like you and me. It's, it's, it's just better for most people in general and the large fan bases that come with those teams. But it also is good to see every now and again a team like TCU, which, bless their soul for what Georgia did to them. What did Griffith call them earlier, <laughs> the, Mike Griffith? The Purple Peewee team. Yeah, the Purple Peewee team is what he called TCU. Um, but it, it is good to see the kind of outside-looking-in schools uh, get that chance to compete. And I think we'll see more of that um, and more upsets, and it'll be more fun, more like a March Madness-type energy with the 12-team playoff. The 12-team playoff, that, that's going to be exciting when, once it does implement itself and teams having an opportunity to host games on their campus. That type of vibe I think will be a different environment because I know if I go to see Alabama and Middle Tennessee, I know the following week we're going to get a chance to see another game. And because we get a chance to see another game the following week, it's not the case here in the 12-team playoff. It's win or literally just walk to your dorm room because you're right there on campus and they say win or go home. Well, home is not too far away if you're on campus. There's no traveling to California in the Rose Bowl or Texas or to Miami. You're having that first-round game right on your own campus. And college football as it is, I think top to bottom, is the best atmosphere sport there is the tradition, the pageantry, and you get a playoff game on campus with the tailgating and everything else. I think it's going to be an incredible atmosphere when you get to see a place like Bryant-Denny or a place like Sanford Stadium in Athens or even like uh, Starkville or Oxford or Baton Rouge or any of the other schools in the SEC host a, a college football playoff game. The atmosphere is just going to be incredible. Well, I know you being a South Alabama guy, seeing the Jaguars have the historic and record-winning season that they had a year ago. And knowing what Kane Womack has coming back, the Jaguars in the preseason polls, do you think that the Jaguars will be picked to go ahead and win the Sunbelt Conference? Because we saw the one game against Troy was, was the difference between South Alabama having an opportunity to really further itself and, and – really only have one loss yeah and of course they their other regular season loss was a tight one by one point at the rose bowl at uh, ucla uh but i do think i do think the coaches polls and the media polls are going to select south as the preseason favorite to win the conference championship this season because they just have so much coming back and then with the addition of the portal, they brought in a couple of offensive line pieces. And then really, they only lost, in terms of impact players, James Jackson, the center, and then Darrell Luter, who got drafted to the Niners. And then, of course, Jalen Wayne went undrafted free agent to the Bills, who we talked to earlier. Um, so not a lot of turnover on that roster. Pretty much everyone's back and reloading for another shot at this thing. 
South Alabama and Kane Womack really turning the corner and, and making a lot of local vibes and a lot of local flavor on that roster. When you look at Tolbert two years ago and, and Jalen Wayne and with what you have coming back with Lacey being a difference. And I think that he's definitely been a man of his words in regards to having Local products. Now, Cole Blaylock comes in from UMS Wright. Anthony Eager comes in from McGill Tulin. Those two guys have created a, an ultimate bond off the field, but they're local, and they can go ahead when it starts local. And to be productive, like you see a Colin Lacey, I think that that's great. And Kane Womack, when he came in, he, he made a pledge – to have the Mobile Five. He wanted five players on the roster every year that came up in the back backyard of South Alabama. Guys like that stepped in this past season, Braylon McReynolds, had an instant Amazing. impact year one. They nicknamed the Human Joystick. Uh, had a big game against Southern Miss and a few other games throughout the year. Um, and then Colin Lacey and just a slew of other guys right from our backyard. We hit the portal, got some guys that went other places but ready to come back home, make an impact, and have that playing time opportunity. And I think it's it's really setting up to be a special year at South Alabama across all sports. When we come back, we'll put the finishing touches here on the final drive Tuesday edition. Corey Labounty, Jared Bates, of course, Michael Bronner on vacation this week. So we'll have someone different in the studio each and every day this week. Of course, my guy Mark Heim sat in yesterday. Jared Bates in today. Al Whedon in tomorrow. And you don't want to miss Nick Wiggins and I talking with John Harbaugh, the head football coach of the Baltimore Ravens. 3.30 this coming Thursday talking about team focus and the Baltimore Ravens when we interview him. 3.30 this Thursday. The final drive will be right back. Hi, I'm Joe Godfrey. I'm a big fan of 105.5 WNSP Sports. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Steve Norman still on the practice field trying to get things ready for Ocean Springs on Thursday. So we weren't able to get to Steve Norman today. But that's all right because there's plenty of other things that Jared Bates and I have had an opportunity to talk about. Of course, we looked at the relationship between Lane Kiffin, Jimbo Fisher, and Nick Saban all together. And Lane Kiffin says it's an unusual relationship with Nick Saban. Looks at him like a family member and says that if anybody else talks about Nick Saban, it pisses him off. And when Jimbo Fisher had negative things to say about Nick Saban in regards to the NIL deals that were being given out there at Texas A&M that was allegedly said by Nick Saban. When Lane Kiffin beat him 31 to 28, he had some more jabs to give at Jimbo Fisher on behalf of Nick Saban. So that, that relationship is always one that always is going to be a Twitter gold. It's Twitter gold, Jared, when you look at Lane Kiffin when he talks about Nick Saban or beats Nick Saban eventually, you can only imagine what's going to come out of his mouth then. 
Absolutely, as I nodded earlier, he's like he's like all SEC first team, or maybe even all American when it comes to coaches in the in the Twitter game. I mean, it, it just never never ceases to amaze me what Lane Kiffin puts out on Twitter. And you you definitely have to be careful what you say. We've looked at a couple of broadcasters, ESPN's John Anderson made uh, a toilet joke about a player's last name and. White Cloud equipped it to a toilet tissue, and he's taken some heat and some fire and has had to apologize over that. Bobby Huggins makes the homophobic slur remarks twice and dumps on religion, the Catholic religion on top of making the homophobic slurs. Not quite sure what will happen to Bobby Huggins, but he is one of those coaches that is a basketball Hall of Famer. And Tom Brenneman, a former broadcaster, spoke to West Virginia and Bobby Huggins' teams in 2020 about his homophobic slur and remark that he made while calling San Francisco a homophobic slur. And it's just interesting, that parallel between Bobby Huggins and Tom Brenneman and Tom Brenneman coming to speak to West Virginia in 2020 about the same exact homophobic remark that Bobby Huggins made. And Alabama and Auburn adding to... Their roster out of the transfer portal is going to be huge as well. And then, of course, Denny Crum, Hall of Fame coach, passing away at the age of 86, winning a couple of national championships. 30-year career all at Louisville was very impressive. And we just sent our prayers to to his family as well, but lived a great life at 86 years of age. And don't forget, tomorrow Al Whedon will be sitting in with me, and we are scheduled to have Roman Harper, Andy Burcham, the the voice of the Auburn Tigers, and we'll talk to Andy Kennedy also about signing Barry Dunning Jr. And then you don't want to miss Thursday. Thursday at 3.30, Nick Wiggins from the opening kickoff jumps on with me as we'll be talking to John Harbaugh, the head football coach of the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL, as he'll be coming down for the team focus event next in the middle of next week. And we'll talk to John Harbaugh and Tim Brando scheduled to join us on Thursday as well. So a very busy couple of days here on the final drive, but Jared outstanding job today, man. And, want to thank you for your great coverage and your knowledge that you bring in. It just, it's, it's great working with you today for sure. Yeah. I, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Uh, I posted on Facebook before coming on. It's kind of like a full circle moment growing up, riding home from school and football practices and such. Uh, uh, listening to this afternoon show in the truck with my dad and then now be able to have the opportunity to, hop on here for a day. I mean, it's it's just been a really cool experience, and I, I thank you for your mentorship and always being a great friend. Well, I love working with you, Jared, and anytime I get an opportunity to work with you, you know I'm going to call on you because you're always prepared and do a phenomenal job, and it's evident in your work for 97.1, the Prowl, the South Alabama student radio broadcast, and want to thank you for jumping in. We'll see what happens in the NBA tonight. Philly and Boston, Phoenix and Denver. And again, Denver in six. we'll see. He says Denver in six. I say Phoenix in seven. Philly, Boston. Uh, I'm not quite sure the way that's going. It may go seven 
as well. But we want to thank everyone for tuning in to the final drive. And don't forget, tomorrow, another great edition. Roman Harper, Andy Burcham, Andy Kennedy, all joining us tomorrow on the final drive.